0: Hello and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob and I will be one of your hosts this evening. We're going to be talking about Emma Goldman.
1: Hi, how's it going? I'm Tricia. This is my very clingy dog, Sarah. She'll be joining us for at least part of this.
0: (laughs) Yep, she wants face space. (laughs) She does. All of the face space. Did you notice that uh, the Zoom voice was different? No. Oh, I thought maybe. Well, it probably was the update, but. Um, I do notice I can hear
1: you a lot better than I could before because before the music was kind of drowning you out, whereas now it's it's not like the music levels still sound the same, but it's not overpowering your voice so i Sweet. think that
0: yeah all right so today we're gonna to be learning about emma goldman she was an anarchist and a feminist uh first and foremost uh a russian immigrant to the united states she was born in Tsarist, russia um i mean She left a legacy behind that is still very much in place today. Um, And I mean, I didn't know nearly enough about her until doing the research for this piece. So um, I'm pretty excited to do this. And a lot of the events cover things that we've recently been talking about. Uh, She was deported from the U.S. during the first Red Scare, uh, which we did a piece about. And... um, What was the other oh yeah the Haymarket affair is drove over to uh anarchism and we also have a piece about that. So I recommend checking those out um for further context to some parts of this episode. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh you can check out Monday's current event stream or yesterday's revolutionary left book club pieces um, on our Facebook on our YouTube or on www.forwearemany.org and then tomorrow of course uh, don't forget to join us for uh, part 12 of Seize the Time Uh, we're getting pretty close to wrapping that one up Um, yeah that's it
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, next week we might be taking Tuesday off in order to start working on some stuff um, to have ready ahead of time so if we don't see you next Tuesday don't worry we will be back on Tuesday nights Um, just taking a momentary break to try to catch up and work ahead
0: Um, we also might I guess we haven't really talked about it in depth but we might change the current event stream to Tuesday and do the book club on Monday because out of all of the pieces that we do, the ones that we really want, like the ones that we really need to keep live, are the current event streams. That's the whole point of them. <laughs> this week we did a pre recorded one and it just kind of felt weird.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Some scheduling is kind of, you know, conflicting there. And we want to be able to keep that one live. So, um, I don't know if you got any feedback on that one. Let us know because I mean, it's totally up to you guys. If you would rather keep with Mondays because of your schedule and you're cool with it being pre-recorded, then okay. But if you're down to move it to Tuesdays with us, I don't know, let us know. Give us that feedback because that is something important that, you know, we look forward to actually being able to interact with you on the live streams and stuff and we've had a pretty consistent schedule of that since January um so we definitely don't want to throw that off for you guys so let us know what you think
0: well said um yeah so
1: that said let's dive into Emma Goldman uh, badass so, anarchist bad. author yes
0: Yes, she was. We're gonna have a to. wild spirit. Yes, definitely, definitely untamable. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want to throw some of her work into the, the Revolutionary Left Book Club pieces as well.
1: Hell yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. Anyway, the first thing that I wanted to show you guys is a. Um, uh, It's a reading of one of her speeches Kind of like when we showed that clip of Mark Ruffalo reading Eugene Debs' speech Mm -hmm. Um, It's a situation like that Um, I think she did a fantastic job But of course the really important thing is the content of the speech And this was uh, shortly before Or shortly after rather The U.S. got involved in World War I Much like Eugene Debs, uh, she was against the war, and much like Eugene Debs, she was prosecuted for it. The difference is, they deported her, and uh, of course we'll get to that story in due time, but um, first things first, I wanted to play this speech. I'm a goldman. fierce anarchist and feminist harder, agitator, organizer, opponent of war. And When the World War broke out in Europe in 1914 and before the United States entered the war, she gave this speech in San Francisco.
2: Is it love of one's birthplace, the place of childhood's recollections and hopes, dreams, and aspirations? Patriotism, sir, is the last resort of scoundrels. Said Dr. Johnson, Leo Tolstoy, the greatest anti-patriot of our times, defines patriotism as the principle that will justify the training of wholesale murderers, a trade that requires better equipment for the exercise of man-killing than the making of such necessities of life as shoes, clothing, and houses, a trade that guarantees better returns and greater glory than that of the average working man. Indeed, conceit, arrogance, and egotism are the essentials of patriotism. Let me illustrate. Patriotism assumes that our globe is divided into little spots, each one surrounded by an iron gate. (laughs) Those who have had the fortune of being born onto some particular spot consider themselves better, nobler, grander, more intelligent than the living beings inhabiting any other spot. It is, therefore, the duty of every living, everyone living on that chosen spot to fight, kill, and die in the attempt to impose his superiority upon all the others. The inhabitants of all the other spots, reason in like manner, of course, with the result that, from early infancy, the mind of the child is poisoned with the blood curdling stories about the Germans, the French, the Italians, the Russians, etc. When the child has reached manhood, he is thoroughly saturated with the belief that he is chosen by the Lord Himself to defend his country against attack or invasion of any foreigner. It is for that purpose that we are clamoring for a greater army and navy, more battleships and ammunition. We Americans claim to be a peace-loving people. We hate bloodshed. We are opposed to violence. (laughs) Yet we go into spasms of joy over the possibility of projecting dynamite bombs from flying machines upon helpless citizens. Our hearts swell with pride at the thought that America is becoming the most powerful nation on earth and that it will eventually plant her iron foot on the necks of all other nations. Such is the logic of patriotism. Thinking men and women the world over are beginning to realize that patriotism is too narrow and limited a conception to meet the necessities of our time. The centralization of power has brought into being an international feeling of solidarity among the oppressed nations of the world. A solidarity which represents a greater harmony of interests between the working men of America and his brothers abroad than between the American miner and his exploiting compatriot. A solidarity which fears not foreign invasion because it is bringing all the workers to the point when they will say to their masters, go and do your own killing. We have done it long enough for you.
0: Yup. Yep.
1: Yep, no lies detected. Emma Goldman.
0: Go and do it yourself. We have done it long (laughs) enough.
1: That is accurate as fuck. And what she was saying there about where she would see that leading to is fucking prophetic. Yeah. We're seeing the results of that right there today. And that's one thing that makes me just shake my fucking head when people talk about patriotism. Like, mm -mm. no, you've got the wrong idea. Being all about your country like she framed up the idea of american exceptionalism all the fucking way Uh, and it's disturbing fucking disturbing like we're seeing all of that play out that music's a little extra loud now (laughs) Is that better? Much better. Thank you. It's like the piano was yelling at my eardrums for a minute.
0: Yeah, that video was kind of quiet, so I had to like boost the volume of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll start with a with a brief overview. Um Most of what we're going to be reading today uh, is coming from Wikipedia because there's actually a lot of sources and they're pretty much all cited. So, um, if you're interested in the things that we're saying today, uh, you know, or if you realize that we got something wrong and you want to fact check us, I'll be honest, we're using Wikipedia for this. If we get something wrong, let us know.
1: And PBS.
0: And PBS, yes. PBS actually has a couple of album, or albums, Jesus Christ. <laughs> PBS actually has a couple of articles about oh, her, and that really surprised me, because I didn't think PBS would be willing to, uh, obviously they don't go too deep into her theory, but like, you know, they they didn't really water down the content that much either. Right. Right. At least they didn't try to liberalize her like they do to MLK and Malcolm X, right? Oh my
1: God. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's disturbing when they do that to people who are far more radical than they want to frame them as in, you know, history's
0: hindsight. <laughs> right. So um, she was born June 27th, um, 1869, lived until May 14th, 1940. She was an anarchist political activist. And when we say activist, I mean, she was very much about direct action, propaganda of the deed. we'll get to that, and writer. Um, I mean, I was under the impression that she had written a, a couple of books, but there's a lot.
1: Yeah, she started an entire magazine. I think it was called Mother Earth. I'm sure they would yes, reference it that somewhere in here. Um, yeah. It. I mean, what she did, especially for that point in time, was fucking phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and and we can also talk about why she was opposed or hesitant to support uh, the women's suffrage movement. Um, Great. Because, I mean, that's important, and I think that that, in a lot of places, is misrepresented about her. Like, oh, well, she didn't want women to make that step. But, like, no, she was worried that it would make women complacent, not liberated. Right. (laughs)
1: Like, oh, if we get the
0: vote, people might think we're done there,
1: you know? And look, she wasn't wrong. A hundred years later... You know, of since we've had the vote and we're still fighting issues like stop legislating our uteruses. So
0: right. um, again,
1: a prophetic moment of hers.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, like she's one of the few American anarchists that actually like has theory to what she's saying. Um Right. And I mean, I recognize some small bits of it uh, from, I mean, just my little bit of exposure to Kropotkin. Um, it, it's very clear to me already that he's an influence to her, but I, I don't know who else shaped her uh, political ideology or, you know, who else helped shape her political ideology. But she was born she, in... She helped.
1: She well, helped yeah, she helped. But anarchists... Mean, philosophy itself, (laughs) you know. Uh. (laughs)
0: Um, But I mean, when I was trying to figure out, like, who would be a good because I mean, we've done, you know, Eugene Debs, obviously, is a socialist. um, And I don't want my own personal views to override everything we're trying to do here, you know, like, I mean, at first I thought about doing a piece on Che Guevara, but then I'm like, we haven't done much with anarchism yet. We've we've shown socialists, and we've shown, or uh, we've talked about communists a little bit, quite a bit, I should say. We're still reading a Black Panther Party book. They were communists, um, yeah.
2: but anyway, the
0: point is though that I, especially considering that she was involved um, with several things that we've already talked about in pretty good detail, I figured that Emma Goldman is probably the most solid person to start with for um, anarchist figures, you know? I can't think of a single uh, anarchist figure that is more influential than she is. Agreed. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. She was, <laughs> she was born in Kaunas in the Russian Empire which is now in Lithuania, to a Jewish family. Uh, She emigrated to the United States in 1885. She was attracted to anarchism after the Chicago Haymarket Affair. Uh, She became a writer and a renowned lecturer on anarchist philosophy, women's rights and social issues, attacking crowds of thousands. She and anarchist writer, Alexander Berkman, we're gonna be hearing that name a lot. Her lover and lifelong friend planned to assassinate industrialist and financier uh, Henry Clay Frick. Um, you'll hear that name a few times uh, as an act of propaganda of the deed. Uh, Frick survived the attempt attempt on his life in 1892, and Berkman was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Goldman was imprisoned several times in the years that, that followed for inciting, uh, inciting to riot and illegally det- in. Check this one out. Illegally distributing information about birth control.
1: Right. Uh, if anything, she was ahead of her time and what she was doing there was good. Yeah. Women have the right to be in control of whether their uterus is being put to work or not.
0: Amen to that. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit before I, before I jump back into... About what propaganda of the deed is—it's uh, a—it's a specific type of direct action uh, meant to be exemplary to others and serve as a catalyst for revolution. Um, It's—I wouldn't say it's only been used by insurrectionary anarchists, but that is very much where the school of thought is, um, and it can—it it can include things like bombings, assassinations aimed at the ruling class, but it can also have nonviolent applications. Uh, these are intended to ignite the spirit of revolt and the people by demonstrating the state is not uh, omnipotent and offering hope to the downtrodden. I mean, I think that's something that generally most of us can uh, get behind. And that that is an idea that stems back to uh, Mikhail Bakunin, uh, you know, the other, Uh, big Russian uh, early anarchist so um, you know obviously she brought things that that happened in her country uh, being born in the Russian Empire that is to the United States with her and we also had a piece on collectivized immigrants um, in the late 1800s early 1900s and she is a prime example of that Um, anyway in 1906 Goldman founded the anarchist journal Mother Earth in 1917 Goldman and Berkman were sentenced to two years in jail for conspiring to induce persons not to register for the newly instated draft kind of same similar reason why um, Eugene Debs sat two years in jail for Conspiring to induce persons not to register for the newly instated trap. Right, uh, they, they didn't
1: like that. Like, how <clears> dare <throat> you tell people to not um, buy for our profits?
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, like so the fact I mean, that they
1: made that a criminal act. Like, if if anything should be a criminal act, it should be the recruiting of people. I, I mean, understand. what
0: really should be a criminal act is the fact that recruiters can set up in high schools. Tell me, that's not predatory.
1: Uh huh. Yeah,
0: it's fucked up. After the relief uh, release from prison, they were arrested along with 248 others and deported to Russia. Initially supportive of that country's October Revolution that brought the Bolsheviks to power, Goldman changed her opinion in the weight of the Kronstadt rebellion. And she denounced the Soviet Union for its violent repression of independent voices. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the Kronstadt Rebe- uh, Kronstadt <laughs> rebellion. Um, it was an anarchist uprising uh, in the er- in the early USSR. It was 1921, um, and uh, Kronstadt was a Russian port city um there we go <laughs> disappointed in the direction of the bolshevik government the rebels uh, that had been praised earlier as adornment and pride of the revolution by leon trotsky demanded a series of reforms reduction in bolshevik power Uh, newly elected Soviet councils to include socialist and anarchist groups, not just communist groups, economic freedom for peasants and workers, disillusion of the uh, bureaucratic governmental organs created during the Civil War, which I don't know if I agree with created during the Civil War. A lot of those bureaucratic mechanisms were kind of revived from the Tsarist system because they were already in place, and what the fuck else do you do? You can't really, like change that shit during a a bloody civil war Um, and the restoration of civil rights for the working class Um, so I mean Wikipedia says that uh, the revolt was suppressed on March 18th after killing several thousand people but I would like to point out that that is not source thank you Wikipedia (laughs) right Um, sometimes you just
1: never know
0: right (laughs) but um that makes sense i mean even if um i think that that's generally agreed that that how that was responded to was an error i think the party themselves know that um and frankly it's a shame that it led to Uh, the deaths that it did but I do have doubts on whether it was thousands especially since that's not even a source claim right um be worth looking into a little deeper right uh anyway back to Goldman uh she left the Soviet Union and uh in 1923 wrote a book about it called my disillusionment in Russia but I would also like to point out that She came to the United States well before that and was not impressed. We'll get to that when we get to that point in her life um, and overall story. But um, while living in England, Canada and France, she wrote an autobiography called Living My Life. It was published in two volumes in 1931 and 35. After the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War, Goldman traveled to Spain to support the anarchist revolution there. It was kind of like a red coalition revolution it it was spearheaded by the anarchists for sure but there was also socialists and communists involved and there was a lot of people killed by the fascists in that revolution um and she died in toronto canada on may 14th 1940 age 70. Um, during her life she was lionized as a free-thinking quote, rebel woman, by admirers and denounced by detractors as an advocate of politically motivated murder and violent revolution. Her writing (laughs) and lectures spanned a wide variety of issues, including prisons. (laughs) Let's see how many of these are still relevant today. Prisons, atheism, freedom of speech, militarism, capitalism, marriage, free love, and homosexuality.
1: Weird. Mm. Again, way ahead of her time
0: yeah um although she distanced herself from first wave feminism and its efforts towards women's suffrage we'll get to that too uh she developed new ways of incorporating gender politics into anarchism after decades of obscurity goldman gained iconic status in the 1970s by a revival of interest in her life when feminist and anarchist scholars rekindled uh, popular interest uh, we're talking about obviously the late '60s and the new uh, early '70s, the emergence of the new left, um, you know, which also the Black Panther Party were part of. They were just, you know, on the communist side, not the anarchist side. Um, so she was born into an Orthodox Jewish Jewish family in Kavno in the Russian Empire, which is now known as Kaunas and Lithuania. Goldman's brother, Taub, Taub, sorry, uh, Binovich, had been married to a man with whom she had two daughters, Helena in 1860 and Lena in 1862. Her first husband died of tuberculosis and she was devastated. Goldman later wrote, quote, whatever love she had died with the young man whom she had been married at the age of 15. Her second marriage was arranged by her family and, as Goldman put it, mismated from the first. Her second husband, uh, Abraham Goldman, invested Taub's inheritance in a business that quickly failed. The ensuing uh, hardship, combined with the emotional distance between husband and wife, made the household a tense place for the children. When Taub became pregnant, Abraham desperately hoped for a son, a daughter he believed would be one more sign of failure. They eventually had three sons, but their first child was Emma. Emma Goldman was born on June 27, 1869. Her father used to uh, use violence to punish his children, beating them when they disobeyed him. He used a whip on Emma, the most rebellious of all of them. (laughs) surprise. Her mother provided scarce comfort, uh, rarely calling on Abraham to tone down his beatings. Goldman later speculated that her father's furious temper was at least partly a result of sexual frustration. Uh, Goldman's relationships with her elder half sisters, Helena and Lena, were a study in contrast. Helena, the oldest, provided the comfort the children lacked from their mother. Uh, She filled Goldman's childhood with whatever joy it had. Lena, however, was distant and uncharitable. The three sisters were joined by brothers, Louis, who died at six, Herman born in 1872 and Moisha, Born in 1879. When Emma was
1: a young girl, the Goldman family moved to the village of Papile, where her father ran an inn. While her sisters worked, she became friends with a servant named Petrushka, who excited her erotic sensations. Later in Papile, she witnessed a peasant being whipped with a knout in the street. Uh, This event traumatized her and contributed to her lifelong distaste for violent authority. At the age of seven, Goldman moved with her family to the Prussian city of Konigsberg, uh, then part of the German Empire, and she was enrolled in Realschule, which I'm guessing is they call, you know, grade school basically. Uh <laughs> one teacher punished disobedient students, targeting her in particular. Um, she used to beat their hands with a ruler. Like another teacher none. tried to molest his females to right like directly, yeah um but another teacher was molesting the female students and was fired when goldman fought back uh she found a sympathetic mentor in her german language teacher who loaned her books and took her to an opera the passionate student she was she passed the exam for admission into a gymnasium but her religion teacher refused to provide a certificate of good behavior what she was unable to attend yeah ain't that some bullshit yeah (laughs) Uh, like what the fuck (laughs)
0: Uh. It's
1: <sighs> audacity um, the family moved to the Russian capital of St. Petersburg where her father opened one unsuccessful store after another uh, their poverty forced the children to work and Goldman took an assortment of jobs including one at a course at shop. as a teenager she begged her father to allow her to return to school but instead he threw her French book into the fire and shouted girls do not have to learn much all a Jewish girl needs to know is how to prepare fish, cut noodles fine and give the man plenty of children. I want to interject
0: I, here to point out where her fucking feminism comes from. It comes from that toxic son of a bitch. Right?
1: Right? When you have somebody trying to tell you that being a woman makes you less than from the get-go that tends to make you go, fuck you right back.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, honestly, that, you know? that explains where her like perseverance and her sticking to her guns comes from because that's all she fucking had.
1: That was a fucking survival skill growing up in a, you know, situation like that. That's a really fucked environment for so many girls to have to be raised in. Yeah. You know, he sounds like a real douchebag. I'd have probably kicked him in the nuts if I was her saying some shit like that. Like make food and make babies, really? kick you in the balls no wonder she was a strong advocate for things like birth control
0: yeah yeah right uh
1: she pursued her independent education on her own, however, she began to study the political turmoil around her, particularly the nihilists responsible for assassinating Alexander II of Russia. The ensuing turmoil intrigued Goldman, although she did not fully understand it at the time. When she read Nikolai, I'm probably gonna destroy this, Chernyshevsky's novel, what is to be done, From 1863, she found a role model in the protagonist, Vera. She adopts a nihilist philosophy and escapes her repressive family to live freely and organize a sewing cooperative. The book enthralled Goldman and remained a source of inspiration for her throughout her life. Her father, meanwhile, continued to insist on a domestic future for her, and he tried to arrange for her to be married at the age of 15. Uh, they thought about the issue constantly. He complained that she was becoming a loose woman, and she insisted that she would marry for love alone. At the corset shop, she was forced to fend off some unwelcome advances from Russian officers and other men. One man took her into a hotel room and committed what Goldman described as a violent contact. Uh, two biographers call it rape. She was stunned by the experience overcome by shock at the discovery that the contact between man and woman could be so brutal and painful. Um, That is a direct quote from her. Uh, She felt that the encounter forever soured her interactions with men. I can understand why tends to do that when you know you have trust like that broken when you're a child um in 1885 her sister helena made plans to move to new york in the united states to join her sister lena and her husband goldman wanted to join her but their father refused to allow it Uh, despite helena's offer to pay for the trip abraham turned a deaf ear to their pleas desperate goldman threatened to throw herself into the neva river if she couldn't go so their father finally agreed On December 29th of 1885, Helena and Emma arrived at New York City's Castle Garden, the entry for immigrants at the time. Um, They settled upstate, living in Rochester, uh, where Lena was living with her husband, Samuel. Uh, Fleeing the rising anti-Semitism of St. Petersburg, their parents and brothers joined them about a year later. Goldman began working as a seamstress, sewing overcoats for more than 10 hours a day, earning two and a half dollars a week. Wow. She asked for, yeah, like that was not, you know, even in, you know, the adjusted income there for, you know, inflation since then, that was not a lot even then to try to survive off of, you know, um, she asked for a raise, she got denied. So she quit and took work at a smaller shop nearby. At her new job, she met a fellow worker named Jacob Kirshner who shared her love for books, dancing and traveling as well as her frustration with the monotony of factory work. After four months, they got married in February of 1887. Once he moved in with Goldman's family, however, their relationship faltered. On their wedding night, she discovered that he was impotent. Uh, they became emotionally and dis- physically distant. Uh, before long, he became jealous and suspicious and threatened to commit suicide lest she left him. Meanwhile, she was becoming more engaged with the political turmoil around her, Particularly, the the aftermath of executions related to the 1886 Haymarket Affair in Chicago and the anti-authoritarian political philosophy of anarchism. Less than a year after the wedding, the couple were divorced. Kirshner begged Goldman to return and threatened to poison himself if she didn't. Gotta love that, too, of him threatening her with suicide if she didn't uh, leave him and threatening her with suicide for leaving him. Can't have it either way. Um, They ended up getting back together, but after three months, she left again. Um, Her parents considered her behavior loose and allowed Goldman into their home.
0: Refused to allow.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, refused to allow Goldman into their home. Um, Carrying her sewing machine in one hand and a bag of five dollars in the other, she left Rochester and headed southeast to New York City. Um, Can you adjust the volume again? I'm not sure why, but that...
0: I'm glad that up, I paused that when right I did, up. but um, actually, I think that we should probably uh, cut it so that way we can be ready to go for five o'clock. Well, eight o'clock for you, but you know what I mean.
1: Okay. Hey, let go of the fucking pillow before you flip my laptop.
0: Um, so yeah, I'm going to get the restream shit. Um, you know, ready to go.
1: Let this render.
0: Yeah. <sighs> okay. um, if you want, you can call me if you don't want, you don't have to.
1: <laughs> Just let me know when you're ready and I'll hop back in Zoom. I'm probably just going to fuck off on Facebook for a minute because the dogs are all sleeping and I have a Nico in my lap. I sent you some pics of him earlier so you can see what a chonk this fat boy has grown to be. Oh my god. He's so chonky. Anyway.
0: Anyway. I'm going
1: to pet my fat cat. I'll see you in a few minutes.
0: Indeed. Oh,
1: quit biting me, motherfucker. God, he's chewing on my hand.
0: On her first day in the city, Goldman met two men who greatly changed her life. At Sachs Cafe, a, gla- a gathering place for radicals, she was introduced to Ag- Alexander Bertman, <clears throat> an anarchist who invited her to a, a public speech that evening. They went to hear Johann Most, editor of a radical publication called Freiheit and an advocate of propaganda of the deed, uh, the use of violence to instigate uh, change, as we already discussed. She was impressed by his fiery oration and most took her under his wing, training her in methods of public speaking. He encouraged her vigorously, uh, telling her that she was, quote, to take my place when I am gone. One of her first public talks in support of, quote, the clause or the cause, like Santa Claus, wow. The cause uh, was in Rochester. After convincing Helena not to tell their parents of her speech, Goldman found her mind a blank once on stage. She later wrote wrote suddenly, something strange happened. In a flash, I saw it. Every incident of my three years in Rochester, the Garson factory, its drudgery and humiliation, the future of my marriage, the Chicago crime, I began to speak. Words I had never heard myself utter before came pouring forth faster and faster. They came with passionate intensity. The audience had vanished, uh, the hall itself had disappeared. I was conscious only of my own words, of my ecstatic song. That's beautiful.
1: Hell yeah, it is.
0: Excited by the experience, Goldman refined her public persona during subsequent engagements. Quickly, however, she found herself arguing with Most over her independence. After a momentous speech in Cleveland, she felt as though she had become, quote, a parrot repeating Most's views and resolved to express herself on the stage. When she returned to New York, Most became furious and told her, quote, who is not with me is against me. She left Freiheit and joined another public, uh, publication, Die Autonomy. Meanwhile, Goldman had begun a friendship with Berkman, whom she affectionately called Sasha. Before long, they became lovers and moved into a communal apartment with his cousin, uh, Modest Fedya <laughs> Stein, and uh, Goldman's friend, Helen Minken on 42nd Street. Although their relationship had numerous difficulties, Goldman and Burtman would share a close bond for decades, united by their anarchist principles and commitment to personal equality. In 1892, Goldman joined with Burtman and Stein in opening an ice cream shop in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, After a few months of operating the shop, however, Goldman and Burtman were diverted by becoming involved in the homestead, homestead strike in western pennsylvania near pittsburgh and and that's going to be the next thing we talk about is the homestead plot the homestead strike um and i think before
1: we before we move into that section i want to just rewind a second for some clarification because um just so it doesn't give the wrong impression there. The name of that publication is actually German, so it'd be die autonomy. Um, not die autonomy. <laughs> just so it doesn't come across as like die autonomy. It's it's the autonomous <laughs> in German. Okay. So just wanted to point that one out. Um in, indeed.
0: Uh what I was gonna say is I think at some point in the future we could probably do a more in-depth dive into the homestead, homestead strike and the, you know the situation leading up, leading up to it and following it to give it more context. Um, but I don't, I don't think that we need to go any deeper than this does for the purposes of telling Emma Goldman's stories.
1: Agreed, I'm down with that. Um, let's add that to the list for the history pieces. Already done. Uh, Awesome sauce. Uh, Berkman and Goldman came together through the Homestead strike. In June 1892, a steel plant in Homestead, Pennsylvania, owned by Andrew Carnegie, became the focus of national attention when talks between the Carnegie Steel Company and the Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers broke down. The factory's manager was Henry Clay Frick, a fierce opponent of the union.
0: We're going to hear that name a few times. A lot. (laughs)
1: Yep. Frick the dick. Um, (laughs) When a final round of talks failed at the end of June, management closed the plant and locked out the workers who immediately went on strike. Strike breakers were brought in and the company hired Pinkerton guards to protect them.
0: Surprise.
1: Right? (laughs) Not really. But (laughs) On July 6th, A fight broke out between 300 Pinkerton guards and a crowd of armed union workers. Again, surprise. Not really.
0: This next next line, though. During the 12-hour gunfight.
1: Right. 12 fucking hours of gunfire. That's insane. How did they... Like, seven guards and nine strikers were killed. You would think that the numbers would be a lot higher with a 12-hour gunfight. And I'm just wondering they must if a lot have of them had, had really cover. fucking bad aim good cover or bad aim something maybe both <laughs> <laughs> right right uh when a majority of the nation's newspapers expressed support of the strikers goldman and berkman resolved to assassinate frick an action that they expected would inspire the workers to revolt against the capitalist system Berkman chose to carry out the assassination and ordered Goldman to stay behind in order to explain his motives after he went to jail. He would be in charge of the deed, she of the associated propaganda. Berkman set off for Pittsburgh on his way to Homestead, where he planned to shoot Frick. Goldman, meanwhile, decided to help fund the scheme through prostitution. Remembering the character of Sonia and Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel Crime and Punishment from 1866, she mused, quote, she had become a prostitute in order to support her little brothers and sisters. Sensitive Sonia could sell her body, why not I? Once on the street, Goldman caught the eye of a man who took her into a saloon, bought her a beer, gave her $10, informed her she did not have the knack, and told her to quit the business. She was too astounded for speech. She wrote to Helena, claiming illness, and asked for $15. On July 23rd, Berkman gained access to Frick's office while carrying a concealed handgun. He shot Frick three times, stabbed him in the leg, too. A group of workers, far from joining his attentat, beat Berkman unconscious, and he was carried away by the police. Berkman was convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 22 years in prison. Goldman suffered during his long absence, Obviously, you know, like Sir Soulmate. Uh, Convinced Goldman was involved in the plot, the police raided her apartment, too. They found no evidence. They pressured her landlord into evicting her, though. Worse, the attentat had failed to rouse the masses. Workers and anarchists alike condemned Berkman's action. Johann Most, their former mentor, lashed out at Berkman in the assassination attempt. Furious at these attacks, Goldman bought a toy horsewhip to, or brought a toy horsewhip to a public lecture and demanded on stage that Most explain his betrayal. He dismissed her. Whereupon she struck him with the whip broke it on her knee and hurled the pieces at him. She later regretted her assault, confiding to a friend. At the age of 23, one does not reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd say that's fairly accurate. Right? <laughs> uh, so, inciting to riot. When the panic of 1893 struck the following year, the United States suffered one of its worst economic crises. Hmm worst economic right. crises so far
1: uh, right it hasn't gotten to the great depression yet
0: <laughs> right working anyway on it. <laughs> definitely working on it and, and no matter how far back we go in, in in america it's no surprise to see that that's how it played out but right anyway by year's end the unemployment rate was higher than 20 percent and hunger demonstrations somewhat sometimes gave way to riots goldman began speaking to crowds of frustrated men and women in new york city on august 21st she spoke to a crowd of nearly 3,000 people in union square um that is my background for today um so like that as i understand it that was a pretty impromptu thing you know like she's obviously standing in the back of a car and there are hundreds of people standing there listening to her Um, so obviously she was influential Um, nearly 3,000 though is what it says anyway uh, where she encouraged unemployed workers to take immediate action her exact words are unclear undercover agents insist she ordered the crowd to take everything by force but Goldman later recounted this message Well then, demonstrate before the palaces of the rich. Demand work. If they do not give you uh, work, demand bread. If they deny you both, take the bread. Later in court, Detective Sergeant Charles Jacob offered yet another version of her speech. Surprise. A week later, Goldman was arrested in Philadelphia and returned to New York City for trial, charged with inciting to riot. During the train ride, Jacobs offered to drop the charges against her if she would inform on other radicals in the area. She responded by throwing a glass of ice water in his face. I'd say that's deserved. (laughs) As she awaited trial, Goldman was visited by Nellie Bly, a reporter for the New York World. She spent two hours talking to Goldman and wrote a positive article about the women Uh, that she described as a modern Joan of Arc. Damn. Despite this positive publicity, the uh, the jury was persuaded by Jacob's testimony and frightened by Goldman's politics. The assistant district attorney questioned Goldman about her anarchism as well as her atheism. The judge spoke of her as quote, a dangerous woman. She was sentenced to one year in the Blackwell's Island Penitentiary. Once inside, she suffered an attack of rheumatism and was sent to the infirmary. There she befriended a visiting doctor and began studying medicine. She also read dozens of books, including works by American activist writers, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne, poet Walt uh, Walt Whitman, and uh, philosopher John John Stuart Mill. When Goldman was released after 10 months, uh, Rasha's crowd of nearly three thousand greeted her at the Thalia Theatre in New York City. She soon became swamped with requests for interviews and lectures. Um, actually, in a little bit here, uh, we have a video from when she came back to the United States. and it was a similar situation then. Um, you know everybody wanted to wanted to talk to her when she was back for ninety days. Anyway, to make money, Goldman decided to pursue the medical work she had studied in prison. However, her preferred fields of specialization, midwifery and massage were not available to nursing students in the United States. She sailed to Europe lecturing in London, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Uh, She met with renowned anarchists such as Errico Malatesta, uh, Luis Michel, Peter Kropotkin. Nice. In Vienna, uh, I actually, I just want to say, you know, in terms of intersectionality of what we're trying to do with this podcast, um, Peter Kropotkin, we have uh, mutual aid, a factor of evolution on our reading list as well. Um, Anyway, in Vienna, she received two diplomas from midwifery and put them immediately to use back in the United States. Alternating between lectures and midwifery, Goldman conducted the first cross country tour by an anarchist speaker. In November 1899, she returned to Europe to speak, where she met the Czech anarchist Hippolyte Haval Havel in London. They went together to France and helped organize the 1900 International Anarchist Congress on, uh, in the outskirts of Paris. Afterward, Havel uh immigrated to the united states traveling with goldman to chicago they shared a residence there with friends of goldman on
1: september 6th 1901 leon zolgos and unemployed factory worker and registered Republican with a history of mental illness, shot U.S. President William McKinley twice during a public speaking event in Buffalo, New York. McKinley was hit in the breastbone and stomach and died eight days later. Zolgost was arrested and interrogated around the clock. During interrogation, he claimed to be an anarchist and said he had been inspired to act after attending a speech by Goldman. The authorities used this as a pretext to charge Goldman with planning McKinley's assassination. It tracked her to the residence in Chicago that she shared with Havel, as well as with Mary and Abe Isaac, an anarchist couple and their family. Goldman was arrested along with Isaac, Havel, and 10 other anarchists. Earlier, Solzog had, uh, or Solzog, uh, Solgoss, I'm probably destroying that, it's C-Z-O-L-G-O-S-C, if any of you want to look them up, Um, had tried but failed to become friends with Goldman and her companions. During a talk in Cleveland, Solgoss had approached Goldman and asked her advice on which books he should read. In 1901, he had appeared at the Isaac House asking a series of unusual questions. They assumed he was an infiltrator like a number of police agents sent to spy on radical groups. They had remained distant from him, and Abe Isaac sent a notice to associates warning of another spy. Although Zolgas repeatedly denied Goldman's involvement, the police held her in close custody, subjecting her to what she called the third degree. She explained her housemate's distrust of Zogos, and police finally recognized that she had not had any significant contact with the attacker. No evidence was found linking her to the attack, so she was released after two weeks of detention, which that fucking unlawful. Um, before McKinley died, uh, Goldman offered to provide nursing care, referring to him as merely a human being. Zolgos, despite considerable evidence of mental illness, was convicted of murder and executed. Throughout her detention and after her release, Goldman steadfastly refused to condemn Zolgos' actions, um, standing virtually alone in doing so. Friends and supporters, including Berkman, urged her to quit his cause. But Goldman defended Zolgos as a super sensitive being and chastised other anarchists for abandoning him. Abandoning him. Sorry, can't talk tonight. she um, was vilified in the press as a high priestess of anarchy while many newspapers declared the anarchist movement responsible for the murder. In the wake of these events, socialism gained support over anarchism amongst US radicals. McKinley's successor, Theodore Roosevelt, declared his intent to crack down, quote, not only against anarchists, but against all active and passive sympathizers with anarchists.
0: Mother Earth and Berkman's release. After that name that Trisha just butchered was executed, <laughs> Uh, Goldman withdrew from the world and from 1903 to 13 lived at 208 to 210 East 13th Street in New York City scorned by her fellow anarchists vilified by the press and separated from her love Berkman she retreated into anonymity and nursing Um, quote it was bitter and hard to face life anew she wrote later using the name E.G. Smith She uh, left public life and took on a series of private nursing jobs while suffering from severe depression. When the US Congress passed the Anarchist Exclusion Act in 1903, however, a new wave of activism rose to oppose it and Goldman was pulled back into the movement. A coalition of people and organizations across the left end of the political spectrum opposed the law on grounds that it violated freedom of speech and she had the nation's ear once again. After an English anarchist named John Turner was arrested under the Anarchist Exclusion Act and threatened with deportation, Goldman joins uh, joined forces with the Free Speech League to champion his cause. The League enlisted the aid of noted attorneys, Clarence Darrow and Edgar Lee Masters, who took Turner's case to the Supreme Court. Although Turner and the League lost, Goldman considered it a victory of propaganda. She had returned to anarchist activism, but it was taking its toll on her. Quote, I never felt so weighed down, she wrote to Bertman. Quote, I am fear or I fear I am <laughs> uh, forever doomed to remain public property and to have my life worn out through the care for the lives of others. In 1906, Goldman decided to start a publication, quote, a place of expression for the young idealists in arts and letters. Mother Earth was staffed by a cadre of radical activists, including Hippolyte Havel, Max Baginski, and Leonard Abbott. In addition to publishing original works by its editors and anarchists around the world, Mother Earth reprinted selections from a variety of writers. These included uh, the French philosopher Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, who, uh, by the way, Huey Newton and Bobby Seale were also influenced by, Russian anarchist uh, Peter Kropotkin, German philosopher Nietzsche, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche, and British writer Mary Wollstonecraft. Goldman wrote frequently about anarchism, politics, labor issues, atheism, sexuality, and feminism, and was the first editor of the magazine. On May 18th of the same year, Berkman was released from prison. Carrying a bouquet of roses, Goldman met him on the train platform and found herself, quote, seized by terror and pity, as she beheld his gaunt pale form. Neither was able to speak. They returned to her home in silence. For weeks, he struggled to readjust to life on the outside. An abortive speaking to her ended in failure, and in Cleveland, he purchased a revolver with the intent of killing himself. He returned to New York, however, and learned that Goldman had been arrested with a group of activists meeting to reflect on Solgass. Goss. Goss. (laughs) Invigorated anew by this violation of freedom of assembly, he declared, quote, my resurrection has come and set about securing the release. Berkman took the helm of Mother Earth in 1907 while Goldman toured the country to raise funds to keep it operating. Editing the magazine was a revitalizing experience for Bergman. but his uh, relationship with Goldman faltered, and he had a fa- he had an affair with a 15 year old anarchist named Becky Edelson. Wow. Whoa, pedo. Wow, Goldman like... was painted by his rejection of her. Uh, pained, <laughs> painted, God. Goldman was pained by his rejection of her, but considered it a consequence of his prison experience. So that's wow. I don't I don't it's know that I, I don't know that I agree with that take. Sorry, I'm not later uh, that year right. she served like, just, as
1: a just want to interject here, like just because at the time it was socially acceptable for grown ass fucking men to be fucking around with little fifteen year old girls doesn't make it okay. It was never okay, that a pedo.
0: Right. Uh, later that year, she served as a delegate from the U.S. to the International Anarchist Congress of Amsterdam. Anarchists and syndicalists from around the world gathered to sort out the tension between the two ideologies, but no decisive agreement was reached. Goldman returned to the U.S. and continued speaking to large audiences.
1: For the next 10 years, Goldman traveled around the country non-stop, delivering lectures, and agitating for anarchism. The coalitions formed in opposition to the Anarchist Exclusion Act had given her an appreciation for reaching out to those of other political positions. When the U.S. Justice Department sent spies to observe, they reported the meetings as packed. Writers, journalists, artists, judges, workers from across the spectrum spoke of her magnetic power, her convincing presence, her force, eloquence, and fire. In the spring of 1908, Goldman met and fell in love with Ben Reitman, the so-called hobo doctor. Having grown up in Chicago's Tenderloin District, Reitman spent several years as a drifter before earning a medical degree from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Chicago. As a doctor, he treated people suffering from poverty and illness, particularly venereal diseases. He and Goldman began an affair. They shared a commitment to free love and Reitman took a variety of lovers, but Goldman did not. She tried to reconcile her feelings of jealousy with a belief in freedom of the heart, but found it difficult. Two years later, Goldman began feeling frustrated with lecture audiences. She yearned to reach the few who really wanted to learn rather than the many who came to be amused. She collected a series of speeches and items she had written from Mother Earth and published a book called Anarchism and Other Essays, which is going to be coming up soon within our uh, Revolutionary Left Book Club. Uh, So keep your eyes open for that. Um, Covering a wide variety of topics, Goldman tried to represent the mental and soul struggles of 21 years. When Margaret Sanger, an advocate of access to contraception, coined the term birth control and disseminated information about various methods in the June 1914 issue of her magazine, The Woman Rebel, she received aggressive support from Goldman. The latter had already been active in efforts to increase birth control access for several, several years. Uh, in 1916, Goldman was arrested for giving lessons in public on how to use contraceptives. Sanger, too, was arrested under the Comstock Law, which prohibited the dissemination of, quote, obscene, lewd, or lavicious articles, and which authorities defined as including information relating to birth control it's inherently fucked it's it's medicine isn't it though isn't it right, though? Right. <laughs> like now we have you know things like you know health clinics set up specifically for that nobody should have ever been arrested for it it's like sharing knowledge like here you didn't get any sex ed so here let me teach you this so that you can you know help yourself <laughs> anyways Um, They later split from Sanger over charges of insufficient support, but uh, Goldman and Reitman distributed copies of Sanger's pamphlet, Family Limitation, along with a similar essay of Reitman's. In 1915, Goldman conducted a nationwide speaking tour, in part to raise awareness about contraception options. Although the nation's attitude towards the topic seemed to be liberalizing, Goldman was arrested on February 11, 1916, as she was about to give another public lecture. Goldman was charged with violating the Comstock Law. Refusing to pay the $100 fine, she spent two weeks in a prison workhouse, which she saw as an opportunity to reconnect with those rejected by society.
0: Although President Woodrow Wilson was re-elected in 1916 under the slogan, he kept us out of the war, <laughs> at the start of his second term, his lame duck term, actually it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been a lame duck term at the time because he technically could have ran again but it was tradition at that point to only serve two terms um he announced that germany's continued deployment of unrestricted submarine warfare was sufficient cause for the u.s to enter the great war of course he did shortly afterward congress passed the selective service act of 1917 of course it did which required all males aged 21 to 30 uh to register for military conscription Goldman saw the decision as an exercise in militarist aggression driven by capitalism. Spot the fuck on. Right. Uh, She declared in Mother Earth her intent to resist conscription and to oppose U.S. involvement in the war. Um. Good.
1: Right. (laughs) No surprises there. (laughs) Right. Sarcastically or otherwise.
0: (laughs) Um. To this end she and berkman organized the no conscription league of new york which proclaimed quote we oppose conscription because we are internationalists anti-militarists and opposed to all wars waged by capitalistic governments the group became a vanguard for anti-draft activism and chapters began to appear in other cities when police began raiding the group's public events to find young men who would not registered for the draft, however, Goldman and others focused their efforts on distributing pamphlets and other writings. In the midst of the nation's patriotic fervor, uh, the first Red Scare, <laughs> Yeah, uh, many elements of the political left refused to support the League's efforts. The Women's Peace Party, for example, seized, seized its opposition to the war once the U.S. entered it. The Socialist Party of America, which we have a piece on, took an official stance against US involvement but supported Wilson in most of his activities. On June 15th, 1917, Goldman and Berkman were arrested during a raid of their offices in which authorities seized quote, a wagon load of anarchist <laughs> records and propaganda. Oh no. <laughs> the New York <laughs> Times.
1: Williams. What? I said the heinous crimes.
0: I know, right? The New York Times. Re-
1: information. Dude,
0: right. I mean, and we and we still talk about the free speech thing today. You know? Like it really yeah. means anything. If you're if you're fighting against the system, it doesn't matter if what you're doing they're, is constitutionally protected.
1: They're still gonna try to censor you. Look at Facebook. Looking um, at you, Fuckerberg.
0: <laughs> right. The New York Times reported that Goldman asked to change into a more appropriate outfit and emerged in a gown of quote royal purple. The <laughs> the pair were charged with conspiracy to quote induce persons not to register under the newly enacted Espionage Act, and were held on U.S. twenty five thousand dollars bail each. That's a that- lot
1: that in 1917 dollars right (laughs) that's astronomical nobody would ever be able to afford that when they're working class
0: defending herself and bertman during their trial goldman invoked the first amendment asking how the government could claim to fight for democracy abroad while suppressing free speech at home quote we say that if america has entered the war to make the world safe for democracy she must first make democracy safe in America. How else is the world to take America seriously when democracy at home is daily being outraged, free speech suppressed, peaceable assemblies broken up by overbearing and brutal gangsters in uniform, when free press is curtailed and every independent opinion gagged? Verily, poor as we are under a democracy, how can we give it to the world? And those rings still fucking... Those words still ring truer than ever today.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to have to grab that quote right there and meme that. Because fucking A, still applicable. We've made no ground in that one. The same shit is still happening here every fucking day. And we still pretend to be the fucking moral measuring stick for the rest of the fucking world. Like, you fucking kidding me?
0: Yeah, we're setting the bar way too low, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so, like, this next couple of paragraphs, I think, well, actually, this next paragraph especially um, speaks volumes to the type of person that she was, the type of mindset that she had, but of course, the jury found Goldman and Burton guilty. Judge Julius Marshwetz Mayor imposed the maximum sentence two years imprisonment a ten thousand dollar fine each and the possibility of deportation after the release from prison as she was transported to missouri state penitentiary goldman wrote, wrote wrote to a friend quote two years imprisonment for having made an uncompromising stand for one's ideal why that is a small price
1: she's a fucking trooper
0: yeah Fucking beast mode right right uh in prison she was assigned to work as a seamstress under the eye of a quote miserable gutter snipe of a 21 year old boy paid to get results Damn. i i love her her uh i don't know if i want to call that a sense of humor or insults um, whatever i love it
1: yeah her snark i fucking right. love it i love that mouth
0: have you ever seen that emma goldman meme where it says like uh i I forget if it was a facebook comment or a facebook message to somebody that said what that mouth do and then it was a picture of emma goldman and it said critique capital
1: right (laughs) hell yeah like one of the best ever (laughs) that's what that mouth do
0: she met the so, socialist uh, Kate Richards O'Hare, who had also been imprisoned under the Espionage Act, although they differed on political strategy. O'Hare believed in voting to achieve state power. The two men, or two women, sorry, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the the two coffee. women came together to agitate for better conditions among prisoners. Of course they did.
1: That right. It's uniting the, the working class. The, right. you know, still a proletariat.
0: Absolutely, working with the
1: lumpen proletariat
0: now. Right. Goldman also met and became friends with uh, Gabriella Sagata Antolini, an anarchist and follower of Luigi Galliani. Um, Antolini had been arrested transporting a satchel filled with dynamite on a Chicago-bound train. She had refused to cooperate with authorities and was sent to prison for 14 months. Working together to make life better for the other inmates, the three women became known as the Trinity. Goldman was released on September 27th, 1919.
1: Goldman and Berkman were released from prison during the United States Red Scare of 1919 to 1920, when public anxiety about wartime pro-German activities had expanded into a pervasive fear of Bolshevism and the prospect of an imminent radical revolution. It was a time of social unrest due to union organizing strikes and activists or actions by activist immigrants. Um, Attorney General, Alex <laughs> Palmer? Oh, Whoa, what was that? <laughs> Attorney General Alexander Mitchell Palmer and J. Edgar Hoover, head of the U.S. Department of Justice's General Intelligence Division, now the FBI, were intent on using the Anarchist Exclusion Act and its 1918 expansion to deport any non-citizens they could an- identify as advocates of anarchy or revolution. Quote, Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman, Hoover wrote while they were in prison, uh, are, quote, beyond doubt, two of the most dangerous anarchists in this country and return to the community will result in undue harm, scaremongering fucking propaganda bullshit. Um, You know, at her deportation hearing on October 27th, Goldman refused to answer questions about her beliefs on the grounds that her American citizenship invalidated any attempt to deport her under the Anarchist Exclusion Act, which could be enforced only against non-citizens of the U.S. She presented a written statement instead. Quote, today, so-called aliens are deported. Tomorrow, Native Americans will be banished. Already, some patrioteers are suggesting that Native American sons to whom democracy is a sacred ideal should be exiled, end quote. Lewis Post at the Department of Labor, which had ultimate authority over deportation decisions, determined that the revocation of her husband Kirshner's American citizenship in 1908 after his conviction had revoked hers as well. After initially promising a court fight, Goldman decided not to appeal his ruling. The Labor Department included Goldman and Berkman among 249 aliens that deported en masse, mostly people with only vague associations with radical groups who had been swept up in government raids in November. Buford, a ship the press nicknamed the Soviet Ark, sailed from the Army's New York port of embarkation on December 21st some 58 enlisted men and four officers provided security on the journey and pistols were distributed to the crew most of the press approved enthusiastically the Cleveland plane dealer wrote it is hoped and expected that other vessels larger more commodious carrying uh, similar cargoes will follow in her wake the land or the ship landed her charges in Hanko, Finland, on Saturday, January 17, 1920. Upon arrival in Finland, authorities there conducted the deportees to the Russian frontier under a flag of truce.
0: Goldman initially viewed the Bolshevik Revolution in a positive light. She wrote in Mother Earth that despite its dependence on communist government, it represented, quote, the most fundamental, far-reaching, and all-embracing principles of human freedom and economic well-being. By the time she neared Europe, however, she expressed fears about what was to come. Uh, She was worried about the ongoing Russian Civil War, and the possibility of being seized by anti-bolshevik for, uh, forces the state anti-capitalist though it was also posed a threat quote i could never in my life work within the confines of the state bolshevist or otherwise she quickly discovered that her fears were justified days after returning to petrograd or modern day st Peter, uh, petersburg she was shocked to hear a party official refer to free speech as bourgeois superstition as she and berkman traveled around the country they found repression mismanagement and corruption instead of the equality and worker empowerment they dreamed of those who questioned the government were demonized as counter-revolutionaries um, most often they were demonized as counter-revolutionaries because they were <clears throat> but not always i will admit that there there were some anarchists who uh specifically and utopian socialists who were uh demonized as counter revolutionaries even though you or i probably would have disagreed with that take um right but you also have to understand that they were generally of the opinion that anarchist interests ultimately end up serving the power structure um anyway And uh, workers labored under severe conditions This is also true But the same could be said about industrialization Under capitalism That wasn't a specific to communism thing
1: Right That was across Um, the board Regardless of financial system Right You know Like It's fucked
0: Uh, They met with Vladimir Lenin Who assured them that the government That government suppression of press liberties Was justified he told them, quote, there can be no free speech in a revolutionary period. I don't know that I agree with that either. Um, but I nope. mean, suppression of press liberties, I mean, dude. So like Alex Jones can still go on his show like every week or twice a week or whatever it is and fucking, you know, yell out as fucking the frogs are, they're turning the freaking frogs gay bullshit. And... it's just allowed and that's ultimately what bourgeois free speech is all about he's not talking about anything real he's talking about fucking I I mean he's propagating lies 95% of the time and there's no way to hold him accountable for that I'm not saying that I have the perfect answer but I understand how Lenin came to that conclusion even if I disagree with his, you know, ultimate approach on it.
1: Right. It's one thing to call somebody out like, dude, what you're saying is completely false bullshit. It's another thing to try to censor someone in a, a like a legal manner of charging them with a crime or something along those lines. That's something that we don't need to touch unless it's like literally causing harm. You know?
0: Right. Right,
1: and can be proven that it directly caused harm like looking at you Trump right
0: in March 1921 strikes erupted in Petrograd when uh, workers took to the streets demanding better food rations and more union autonomy Um, Goldman and Berkman felt a responsibility to support the strikers stating quote to remain silent now is impossible even criminal The unrest spread to the port town of Kronstadt, where the government ordered a military response to suppress striking soldiers and sailors. Hi, Rev. (laughs) Hi, Mario.
1: Uh,
0: Geez. Uh, In the Kronstadt rebellion, approximately 1,000 rebelling sailors and soldiers uh, were killed and 2,000 more were arrested. Many were executed. <clears throat> in the wake of these events, Goldman and Bertman decided there was no future in the country for them. More and more, she wrote, we have to come to the conclusion that we can do nothing here. Um, and as we cannot keep up a life of inactivity much longer, we have decided to leave. In December 1921, they left the country and went to the Latvian capital city of Riga. Riga? Riga, probably. You know, maybe. I don't know. Uh, the U.S. commissioner and that city wired officials in Washington, D.C., who began requesting information from other governments about the couple's activities. After a short trip to Stockholm, they moved to Ber- uh, Berlin for several years. During this time, Goldman agreed to write a series of articles about her time in Russia for Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World. These were later collected and published in book form as My Disillusionment in Russia and quote, uh, in, in 1923 and My Further Disillusionment in Russia 1924. These publishers added these titles to attract attention. Goldman protested, albeit in vain. Um, so, hang on.
1: Goldman found it difficult to acclimate to the German leftist community in Berlin. Uh, Communists despised her outspokenness about Soviet repression. Liberals derided her radicalism. While Berkman remained in Berlin helping Russian exiles, Goldman moved to London in September 1924. Upon her arrival, the novelist Rebecca West arranged a reception dinner for her, attended by philosopher Bertrand Russell, novelist H.G. Wells, and more than 200 other guests. When she spoke of her dissatisfaction with the Soviet government, the audience was shocked. Some left the gathering. Others berated her for prematurely criticizing the communist experiment. Later, I just wanted letter- to
0: interject real quick there to say that I do think that she was pretty quick, which understand yeah. understandably so. She's an anarchist. She doesn't believe in the existence of the state. But I mean, she wasn't there very long to start, you know, throwing criticism left and right everywhere she every everywhere she went, and write two books about it, you know. Um, I, i'm not saying that she was wrong and i'm not saying that she shouldn't have done it but it, it did seem like she was very quick to turn on the experiment
1: right and it's like it, it was just getting started at that point they were trying to actually you know create a situation where everybody had their material conditions lifted and they weren't there yet and they were you know in the baby stages still of that revolution. Um,
0: right,
1: you know, right. so I'm sure there were plenty of legitimate issues to call out of like, wait, we're doing this wrong. We need to fix this in order to do it right. Um, but you know, yeah, premature there agreed. Um, but later in a letter, uh, Russell declined to support her effort. After- systemic change in the soviet union and ready 25 the specter of deportation loomed again but a scottish anarchist named james colton offered to marry her and provide british citizenship although they were only distant acquaintances she accepted and they were married on june 27th of 1925 her new status gave her peace of mind and allowed her to travel to France and to Canada. Um, Life in London was stressful for her. She wrote to Berkman, I'm awfully tired and so lonely and heartsick. It's a dreadful feeling to come back here from lectures and find not a kindred soul, no one who cares whether one is dead or alive. She worked on analytical studies of drama, expanding the work she had published in 1914, but the audiences were awful and she never finished her second book on the subject. She went to Canada in 1927, just in time to receive news of the impending executions of Italian anarchists, Nicholas Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti in Boston. Angered by the many irregularities of the case, she saw it as another travesty of justice in the U.S. She longed to join the mass demonstrations in Boston. Memories of the Haymarket Affair overwhelmed her, compounded by her isolation, And she wrote, then I had my life before me to take up the cause for those killed. Now I have nothing. In 1928, she began writing her autobiography with the support of a group of American admirers, including journalist H.L. Mencken, poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, novelist Theodore Dreiser, and art collector Peggy Guggenheim, who raised $4,000 for her. She secured a cottage in the French coastal city of Saint-Tropez and spent two years recounting her life. Berkman offered sharply critical feedback, which she eventually incorporated at the price of a strain on their relationship. Uh, Goldman intended the book, Living My Life, as a single volume for a price the working class could afford. She had urged no more than $5 to be charged for the book her publisher alfred a knopf however released it as two volumes sold together for 750. so of course she's furious but unable to force a change there uh, due in large to the Great Depression, sales were sluggish despite keen interest from libraries around the country, critical reviews were generally enthusiastic uh, from the New York Times, New Yorker, the Saturday Review of Literature, they all listed as one of the year's top nonfiction books. In 1933, she received permission to lecture in the United States under the condition that she speak only about drama and her autobiography, but not current political events. She returned to New York on February 2nd, 1934 to generally positive press coverage, except from communist publications. Soon she was surrounded by admirers and friends, besieged with invitations to talks and interviews. Her visa expired in May, and so she went to Toronto in order to file another request to visit the U.S. However, the second attempt was denied. She stayed in Canada writing articles for U.S. publications, though.
0: Yeah. And February- so um, I, I just wanted to uh, interject there to say that, well, first of all, we decided to do this as two pieces because we don't want to put up like a four-hour piece. Uh, But second, where we pick up the second piece, right after that paragraph, obviously, where we pick up the second piece, I have a video um, that includes 1934 press coverage of of her visit, her 90-day visit. Um, Oh, yeah. So we get to
1: hear directly from that mouth. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, there's not very much video of her um right well i mean the time frame is why but uh it was from 1934 um yeah so obviously i want to encourage um everybody to check out our website and uh all of our you know subscribe to all of our social media platforms um for wearemany.org though, to stay up to date. Uh, Patreon.com slash for many to support us financially. Um, join our education and discussion group. We always have conversation going on in there. Um, yeah. Hell oh, yeah. I guess that's really all I got. Uh, we will see you guys tomorrow for our Black Panther Party piece.
1: Part 12 of Bobby Seals Sees the Time, story of the Black Panther Party. We are almost finished with that book and uh, we'll be following that up with some writing from Eldridge Cleaver.
0: Indeed. And yeah. next week's current event stream, and this may become a permanent thing, we're just gonna kind of experiment and see how it goes, but we may be doing the current event stream on Tuesday instead of Monday which means that our when they come back we're taking a week off from it but when they come back um the book club segments will then be on monday hopefully that's not too confusing for anybody but um as we're getting further out though we will be able to promote better so you know (laughs) you guys will know what's happening when and uh We'll actually have time to schedule ahead of time to get guests on for upcoming episodes. So if you know anybody that knows a lot about something, then hit us up, um, you know, or put them in contact with us or or whatever. We're always down to hear more, more voices on the left.
1: Hell yes. What we're here for, Left Unity.
0: Hell yeah you have anything solid else dirty. to say or
1: now you wrap that up pretty well
0: oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah <laughs> all right well um until next time solidarity absolutely
1: y'all have a good night thank you for joining us